Chapter Three of Murder at Bridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Murder at Bridge by Anne Austen. Chapter Three. Goodbye, dinner groaned the plump, blond little man who had been introduced as Tracy Miles as he sorrowfully patted his rather prominent stomach. "'Don't worry, darling,' begged the dark, neurotic-looking woman who was Flora Miles, his wife. "'I'm sure Mr. Dundee will ask Lydia—poor Nita's maid, you know,' she explained in an aside to Dundee, "'to prepare a light supper for us if he really needs to detain us long, which I am sure he won't.' "'How can you think of food now?' Polly Beale, the tall, sturdy girl with an almost masculine bob and a quite masculine tweed suit, demanded brusquely. Her voice had an unfeminine lack of modulation, but when Dundee saw her glance toward Clive Hammond, he realized that she was wholly feminine where he was concerned, at least. "'Of course we are all dreadfully cut up over poor Nita's death,' gasped a rather pretty girl, whose most distinguishing feature was her crop of crinkly light red hair. "'I assume that to be true, Miss Raymond,' Dundee answered. "'But we must lose no more time getting at the facts. "'Just when was Mrs. Selim murdered?' At the brutal use of the word a shudder rippled over the small crowd. Dexter Sprague, of New York, dropped his lighted cigarette where it would have burned a hole in a fine Persian rug if Sergeant Turner, on guard over the room for Captain Strawn, had not slouched from his corner to plant a big foot upon it. "'We don't know exactly when it happened,' Penny volunteered. "'We were playing bridge, the last hand of the last rubber, because the men were arriving for cocktails. When Nita became dummy and went up to her bedroom to—' "'To make herself pretty pretty for the men,' Mrs. Drake mimicked. Then, realizing the possible effect of her cattiness on Dundee, she defended herself volubly. "'Of course I liked Nita, but she did think so terribly about her effect on men, and all that.' and was always fixing her makeup. and besides, you can't suspect me, because I was playing against Karen and Nita. "'Thank you, Mrs. Drake,' Dundee cut in. "'Does anyone know the exact time Mrs. Selim left the room when she became dummy?' "'I can tell you, because I had just arrived, the first of the men to get here,' Tracy Miles volunteered, obviously glad of the chance to talk, a characteristic of the man, Dundee decided. "'I looked at my watch just after I stepped out of my car,' because I like to be on time to the dot, and Nita, Mrs. Selim, had said five-thirty. Well, it was exactly five-twenty-five, so I had five minutes to spare. Yes, Dundee speeded him up impatiently. Well, I came into the hall and hung my hat in the closet out there, and then came in here. It must have been about five-twenty-seven by that time, he explained, with the meticulousness of a man on the witness-stand. I shouted, Hello, everybody! How's tricks? That's a joke, you know. "'How's tricks?' meaning tricks and bridge. "'Yes, yes,' Dundee admitted, frowning. But the rest of the company exchanged indulgent smiles, and Flora Miles patted her husband's hand fondly. "'Well, Nita jumped up from the bridge table, that one right there,' Miles pointed to the table nearer the arched doorway, and she said, "'Good heavens! Is it half-past five already? I've got to run and make myself pretty pretty for just such great big men as you, Tracy.' "'Tracy, darling,' Judge Marshall corrected with a chuckle that sounded odd in the tensely silent room. Tracy Miles flushed a salmon pink, and his wife's fingers clutched at his hand warningly. "'Oh, Nita called everybody darling, and didn't mean anything by it, I guess,' he explained uneasily. 
just one of her cute little ways. Well, anyway, she came up to me and straightened my necktie, another one of her funny little ways, and said, "'Tracy, my own lamb, won't you shake up cocktails for poor little Nita?' "'You know, a sort of way she had of coaxing people?' "'Yes, I know,' Dundee agreed, with a trace of a grin. "'Go on as rapidly as you can, please.' "'I thought you wanted to know everything.' Miles was a little peevish. He had evidently been enjoying himself. "'Of course I said I'd make the cocktails. She said everything was ready on the sideboard. That's the dining room right behind this room,' he explained unnecessarily, since the French doors were open. "'Well, Nita blew me a kiss from her fingertips and ran out of the room. Now let's see.' he ruminated, creasing his sunburned forehead beneath his carefully combed blonde hair. That must have been at exactly five-thirty that she left the room. I went on into the dining-room, and Lois, I mean Mrs. Dunlap, came with me, because she said she was simply dying for a caviar sandwich and a nip of, of, of scotch, Tracy, Lois Dunlap cut in, grinning. I'm sure Mr. Dundee won't think I'm a confirmed tippler, so you might as well tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. "'Poor Tracy has a deadly fear that we are all going to lose the last shred of our reputations in this deplorable affair, Mr. Dundee,' she added, in a rather shaky version of the comfortable, rich voice he had heard earlier in the day. "'I'm not going to pry into cellars,' Dundee assured her in the same spirit. "'What else, Mr. Miles?' "'Nothing much,' Tracy Miles confessed with apparent regret. "'I was still mixing. No, I'd begun to shake the cocktails when I heard a scream.' "'Whose scream?' Dundee demanded, looking about the room and dismissing Miles, thankfully. "'It was I!' Judge Marshall's fair-haired, blue-eyed little bride volunteered in a voice that threatened to rise to hysteria. "'Tell me all about it,' Dundee urged gently. "'Yes, sir,' she quavered, while her husband's arm encircled her shoulders in courtly fashion. "'As Tracy told you, Nita was dummy and I was declarer. That is, I got the bid and played the hand. It—' It was quite an exciting end for me to the afternoon of bridge, for I am not usually awfully lucky. So when Penny had figured up the score, because I am not good at arithmetic, and I knew Nita and I had rolled up an awfully big score, I jumped up and ran into her room to tell her the good news, because she hadn't come back. And, and there she was, all bowed over her dressing table, and she, she was, was... She was dead when you reached her? Dundee assisted her. Yes. Karen Marshall answered faintly, and turned to hide her face against her elderly husband's breast. Dundee's swift eyes took in the varying degrees of whiteness and sick horror that claimed every face in the room, as surely as if all present had not already heard Karen tell her story to Captain Strawn. Tracy Miles looked as if he would have no immediate craving for his dinner, and Judge Marshall's fine, thin face no longer looked so well-preserved as he prided himself that it did. As for Dexter Sprague, he almost folded up against the coral brocade draperies. It was the women, oddly enough, who kept the better control over their emotions. "'Of course you all rushed in when Mrs. Marshall screamed?' he asked casually. Twelve heads nodded mutely. "'Did any, or all of you, touch the body, or things in the room?' "'Mr. Sprague touched her hair, and lifted one of her hands,' Penny contributed quietly. "'But you know how it must have been.' We can't any of us tell exactly every move we made, but there was some rushing about, the men, mostly, looking for—for for whoever did it. Mrs. Marshall, did you see anyone, anyone at all, in or near that room when you entered it? The white-faced young wife lifted her head and looked at him dazedly with drowned blue eyes. There wasn't anyone in—in in that room, I know, she faltered. It felt horrible. 
being in there with, with her, all alone. But nearer the room, in the main hall, or in the little foyer where the telephone is? Dundee persisted. I don't think so. I can't remember seeing anyone. Oh, Hugo! And again she crouched against her husband, who soothed her with trembling hands that looked incongruously old against her childish fair hair and face. Where were the rest of you? Exactly where, I mean, Dundee demanded, conscious that Captain Strawn had entered the room and was standing slightly behind him. There was such a babble of answers, given and then hastily corrected, that Dundee broke in suddenly. I want a connected story of the events leading up to the tragedy, and I want someone to tell it who hasn't lost his, or her, head at all. He looked about the company as if speculatively, but his mind was already made up. Miss Crane, will you tell the story, beginning with the moment I left you and Mrs. Dunlap and Mrs. Selim today? Penny nodded miserably, and was about to begin. Just a minute before you begin, Miss Crane, Dundee requested. I'd like to make notes on your story. And he drew from a coat pocket a shorthand book, hastily filched from Penny's own tidy desk. Yes, he answered the girl's frank stare of amazement. I can write shorthand, of a sort, and pretty fast at that though no other human being, I am afraid, could read it but myself. As for you folks, he addressed the uneasy, silent group of men and women in dead Nita's living room, I shall ask you not to interrupt Miss Crane unless you are very sure that her memory is at fault. Penelope Crane was about to begin for the second time, when again Dundee interrupted. Another half-second, please. On the first sheet of the new shorthand notebook, Dundee scribbled, Suggest you try to locate Ralph Hammond immediately. Very much in love with Mrs. Selim. Invited to cocktail party. Did not show up. Tearing the sheet from the notebook, he passed it to Captain Strawn, who read it, frowning, and then nodded. Doc Price has done all he can here, Strawn whispered huskily. Wants to know if you'd like to speak to him before he takes the body to the morgue. Certainly, Dundee answered, as he grinned apologetically to the girl who was waiting, white-faced, but patiently, to tell the story of the afternoon. Quickly suppressed shudders and low exclamations of horror followed him and the chief of the homicide squad from the room. "'Well, Bonnie boy, we meet again, for the usual reason,' old Doc Price greeted the district attorney's new special investigator. "'Another shocking affair, that. A nice clean wound, one of the neatest jobs I ever saw. Shot entered the back and penetrated the heart. Very nicely calculated.' If the bullet had struck a quarter of an inch higher, it might have been deflected by the— But the path of the bullet, doctor, Dundee broke in. Have you any calculations as to the place and distance at which the shot was fired? Roughly speaking, yes, the coroner answered. The gun was fired at a distance, probably, of ten or fifteen feet. Perhaps closer, but I don't think so, he added meticulously. As for the path of the bullet, I have fixed it. Judging from the position of the body, which I am assured had not been moved before my arrival— as coming from a point somewhere along a straight line drawn from the wound, with the body upright, of course, to here. Dundee and Strawn followed the brisk little white-haired old doctor across the bedroom to a window opening upon the drive, the one nearest the door leading out upon the porch. "'I've marked the end of the line here,' Dr. Price went on, pointing to a faint pencil mark made upon the window frame. The pale green strip of woodwork near the chaise lounge which was set between the two windows. "'I told you she was shot from the window,' Strawn reminded Dundee triumphantly. "'You see, Doc, it's my theory that the murderer climbed up to the sill of this window, which was open, as it is now, 
crouched in it, and shot her while she sat there powdering her face. "'Not necessarily, Captain, not necessarily,' Dr. Price deprecated. "'I merely said that this pencil mark indicated the end of the line showing the path of the bullet. Certainly she was not shot through the frame of the window, but she might have been shot by anyone's stationed just in front of it, or anywhere along the line up to, say, within ten feet of the woman. Now, if that's all, Captain, I'll be getting this corpse into the morgue for an autopsy, and I'll send you both a copy of my findings.' "'Just a minute, Dr. Price,' Dundee detained him. "'How old would you say Mrs. Selim was?' The doctor pursed his wrinkled lips and considered for a moment, eyeing the body stretched upon the chaise lounge speculatively. "'Well, between thirty and thirty-four years old,' he answered finally. "'Of course you understand that the estimate is unofficial, and must remain so, until I have completed the autopsy.' Dundee stared down at the upturned face of the dead woman with startled incredulity. "'Between thirty and thirty-four years old? That tiny, lovely—' but she was not quite so lovely in death, in spite of the serenity it had brought to those once vivacious features. Peering more closely, he could see, without those luminous wide eyes to center his attention, numerous fine lines on the waxen face, the slackness of a little pouch of soft flesh beneath her round chin, and occasional white hair among the shoulder-length dark curls. Dundee sighed. How easy it was for a beautiful woman to deceive men with a pair of wide, velvety black eyes but he'd bet the women had not been quite so thoroughly taken in by her cuddly childishness, her odd mixture of demureness and youthful impudence. Back in the living room, whose occupants stopped whispering and grew taut with suspense, Dundee seated himself at the little red lacquer table, notebook spread, while Strawn settled himself heavily in the nearest overstuffed armchair. Now, Miss Crane, I am quite ready if you will forgive me for having kept you waiting. In a very quiet voice, slightly husky, as always, Penny began her story. "'I think it lacked two or three minutes of one o'clock when you drove away. Nita, Lois, do you mind if I use the names I am most accustomed to? Thank you. And I went immediately into the lounge of Breakaway Inn, where we found Carol Drake and Flora Miles waiting for us. Nita soon left us to see about the arrangement of the table, and while she was away the rest of the girls arrived.' "'Except—' a woman's voice broke in. I was going to say, all eight of us were ready for lunch except Polly Beale. She hadn't come, Penny went on, her husky voice a little sharp with annoyance. When Nita came to ask us into the private dining room, one of the inn's employees came and told her there was a call for her, and showed her to the private booth in the lounge. In a minute Nita returned and told us that Polly wasn't coming to the luncheon, but would join us later for bridge here. Why don't you tell him how funny Nita acted? Janet Raymond prompted. Penny flushed, but she accepted the prompting. "'I think any of us might have been a little annoyed,' she said steadily, as if striving to be utterly truthful. Nita told us—she turned to Dundee, whose pencil was flying—that Polly had made no excuse at all. In fact, she quoted Polly exactly. "'Sorry, Nita, can't make it for lunch. I'll show up at your place at two-thirty for bridge.' "'Nita couldn't bear the least hint of being slighted,' Janet Raymond explained with a malicious gleam in her pale blue eyes. If it hadn't been for Lois and Hugo, Judge Marshall, I mean, Nita Selim would never have been included in any of our affairs, and she knew it. The Dunlaps can do anything they please, because they're— Please, Janet, Lois Dunlop cut in, her usually placid voice becoming quite sharp. You must know by this time that I make friends wherever I please, 
and that I liked, yes, I was extremely fond of poor little Nita. In fact, I am forced to believe that, of all the women she met in this town, I was her only real friend. There was a flush of anger on her lovably plain face as her gray eyes challenged first one and then another of the Foresight girls. One or two looked a little ashamed, but there was not a single voice to contradict Lois Dunlap's flat assertion. "'Will you please go on, Pen, Miss Crane?' Dundee urged, but he had missed nothing of the little by-play. "'I wish you would call me Penny, so I'd feel more like a person than a witness,' Penny retorted thornily. "'Where was I? Oh, yes. Nita cooled right off when Lois reminded her that Polly was always abrupt like that.' And here Penny paused to grin apologetically at the girl with the masculine-looking haircut. And then we all went into the private dining-room where Nita had ordered a perfectly gorgeous lunch, with a heavenly centerpiece of green-striped yellow orchids. "'Well, I don't suppose you're interested in what we ate and things like that.' She hesitated. "'Was there anything unusual in the conversation? Anything like a quarrel?' Dundee prompted. "'Oh, no,' Penny protested. "'Nothing happened out of the ordinary at all. "'No, wait. Nita received a letter by messenger, or rather a note, when we were about halfway through luncheon.' There was a low, strangled-in-the-throat cry from someone. Who had uttered it, Dundee could not be sure, since his eyes had been on his notebook. But what had really interrupted Penny Crane was a crash. End of chapter 3